So this week we're going to look at, um, again, we're still in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6.10, so let's say it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and power and glory forever. Amen. Amen. So I I told you guys last week, I broke up um, uh, thy will be done. I mean, sorry, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven into two sermons. And I want to address, because I want to address a few aspects of that and clear up some confusion about the kingdom of God and the will of God. However, I don't want you to get the impression because I did two sermons that I'm talking about two different concepts here. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done are tied together. They're not separated in this prayer. When we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done, there are both prayers concerning the kingdom. So like last week, you're still going to hear me use kingdom language in this sermon. However, what I want to do particularly today is make sure that when we pray thy will be done, we're clear on what that means. So there's a lot of misunderstanding about the will of God. It's unfortunate because the misunderstanding has created really unnecessary confusion and anxiety when in fact a proper understanding of the will of God should bring us peace, should bring us solace, should bring us comfort, um, not create uh, anxiety. So I want to do what I did last week and because it's kind of the way my brain works, I want to start by looking at what the will of God is not, all right? So let's do that. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios. A young man comes to me and says, Pastor, I have two job opportunities, and I don't know which one to take. I don't really don't know which one of these two is the will of God. One, I think I would enjoy more because it's really kind of tied more closely to my degree and, it's, and, and my dream as far as career goes, but the salary is 20% less than the other one, which you all know that's pretty significant. The one with more pay also has more potential for promotion, but I actually think it might potentially pull me away from family and ministry uh, more than I, I want, but it also gives me a lot better as a family of financial security. So pray that God would give me peace about which one of these jobs is his will so I'll know which one to take. Y'all ever heard of those kind of requests? Here's another one. A young lady comes and says, Pastor, I know that my boyfriend's about to ask me to marry him because he thinks he's being subtle and asking me ring questions, but it's not subtle. So I know it's coming, and I, I, I love him, and I want to say yes, but I also want to be in the will of God, so pray that God would give me a sign that this is the guy that I'm supposed to marry. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard very similar scenarios, and those particular scenarios I just gave you are exactly scenarios that have happened to me with people in the past in this church. I saw one of them this week, uh, not this week, two weeks ago, and, and actually asked her about this scenario because now she's been married several years and she's got several kids and life's going great. And I was like, what, what, what were you ever thinking, right? 
But I, I do want to commend them in these scenarios, and here's why. Because their motives are good, they're seeking God, they're seeking to honor God with their lives, they're seeking the kingdom first, they want to make sure that their desires align with what they think of as the will of God, and that's always a good thing. But their struggle is actually not over their choice. Their struggle is tied to a misunderstanding about the will of God. They're confused about what the will of God is, and and major life decisions are stressful enough by themselves without adding unnecessary theological confusion onto them. Because in both of those scenarios come with an assumption. There is an implication in these questions that God has a secret will of direction. He has a secret plan that he expects us to figure out. And if we don't make the right decision, we're going to miss out on God's will for our life and ruin everything going forward into the future. And and so it implies that God's holding something back from us. And if we want to know what we need is some form of supernatural interference to point us in the right direction. And I hate to tell you this, That's not found anywhere in the Bible. That concept of the will of God is not in Scripture anywhere, not not even implied. There is no will of direction that God means for us to discover ahead of time. He's not playing games with us. He's not keeping secrets from us. He does have a plan for our life. You could even say He has a wonderful plan for our life. But Scripture tells us He's working all things for our good, And consider that that means God's working, which means he's involved. He's he's working all things for our good. He has a plan. He cares about our future. In fact, Psalm 37 tells us that God guides and directs all the steps of the ungodly and delights in every detail of our lives. And when it comes to decisions, God might even surprise us with a supernatural leading that we won't see until we've already moved forward and we're looking back. Now, how many of you have those testimonies, right? I do. I got dozens of them. We're like, oh, that's what God was doing. There you go. Thank you, hindsight. Yeah, right? I mean, if you think about it, so, so hindsight can show us God's direction, but in nowhere in Scripture are we commanded to seek out some mysterious will of direction whereby God's going to tell us what to do at every fork in the road. And in these scenarios I gave you, let me help you. So both of these are real scenarios that over the years they brought me in the young lady that asked me about praying God would give her a sign. You know what I told her? No, I'm not praying that. She's like, what? I said, I'm not praying that. I'm not praying God give you a sign. He's already given the answer. She didn't need a sign because God had already given her everything she needed to know in order to make the decision that would align with what the Bible talks about as the will of God. So I asked her a few questions. Is this guy a believer? Yes. Do you think he has a desire to live a life that honors God? Yes. Do you think he's the kind of man that will love you like Christ loves the church? Yes. Do you think he'll make a good father? Yes. Do you think he'll be a provider? Yes. Do you love him? Yes. Do you want to marry him? Yes. Then I don't really know why we're having this conversation. Every one of those questions came straight from Scripture on what God wants to see happen in the lives of the people we marry. 
All those questions came from that. So her anxiety on missing the will of God was misplaced. We, we, I mean, we talked for a while, and I actually asked her, what, what's your real fear here? And she had been taught since a little girl that God had created this very special, specific person for her. And she was afraid she might marry somebody else before she met that guy and mess up what God had planned for her. And if that happened, listen, this is what she said, I'm afraid if I did that, God would be disappointed in me. Now, I don't, she's been married now a while, and it's all going great, and I think she'd now look back on that and go, I don't know what I was thinking. But I promised her this, God isn't up in heaven anxiously waiting and hoping that she doesn't mess up his plan. Now, the young man that brought the other job, that was a bit more difficult, and here's why. Because he needed to waste some things that were kingdom decisions, spiritual decisions, priorities. He needed to weigh financial security, which is not a bad thing, with future career goals against family and ministry time. He needed to determine which field he thought he would continue to help him remain a faithful father and Christian. And, and on paper, they seemed like good jobs. Either of these jobs would have been the will of God, except for one thing. The job with a higher pay was an accounting firm and one of its clients owned a chain of strip clubs in L.A. Now, this young man would have not been working directly with that client. However, there was a possibility in future promotions that he might have ended up working for that client. So I asked him, could he in good conscience work for that client? So he took the other job. Why? Because eventually, after working it out, they actually got to a proper understanding of the will of God in their life, and it helped them make decisions. This is what I want to talk about, the the two wills of God. Talk about what the will of God is not. Apparently, I'm bad with my slides. There we go, two wills of God. God's will of decree, God's will of desire. Let's talk about that. One of the areas that's caused confusion in this concept is that when the Bible uses the term will of God or God's will, it, it could be talking about one of two things. So in the context of the passage, you need to pay attention to what you're looking at. When Scripture uses the term will of God, it refers to the will of God that could be referring to the God's will of decree or His sovereign will, or it could be His will of desire, His revealed will. In the past, people used terms like God's decretive will and perceptive will. And those are accurate, and they might make you sound smart, but they're really not helpful terms. And, um, and so I like the terms God's will of decree and God's will of desire. But let's first, let's talk about God's will of decree. So this is his sovereign will. This refers to everything that God has decreed that will happen, will happen, Period. The only reason anything exists is because God has willed it to exist. He willed everything into existence at creation, from the movement of the smallest atomic particle to the political actions of whatever superpowers out there. Every event in the cosmos is ordered and orchestrated by the sovereign decree of God, sovereign will of God. And there's a lot of scriptures that mention this in relation to God's will. In fact, uh, Ephesians 1 tells us that God works 
all things according to the counsel of his will. In fact, in a Psalm uh, 115, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Proverbs 16.9, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And, and I could pull out a bunch more, I think. Here's one. I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still come, I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. And then we get into the Gospels. There are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. So this concept is all through Scripture. This is just a handful of verses we could have pulled out. This is God's sovereign will. What he decrees will come to pass. Now, let's talk about God's revealed will, God's will of desire. And, and these terms are referring to the same thing. However, I really do like the term God's will of desire because it kind of creates a crisis in us, and I like the crisis. This refers to God's commandments. The Scriptures are God's revealed will. So if you want to know the will of God, know the Scriptures. They give you direction. They give you wisdom. They give you guidelines of kingdom living. The Ten Commandments are an example of God's will. The, uh, the uh, call to repent and believe is an example of God's will. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul refers to God's revealed will when he writes that um, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's a revealed will of God in the Scriptures. In this verse, Paul is clearly speaking about God's expectations on humanity, not his sovereign rule over things. So you're talking about two different concepts of will. Deuteronomy. Uh, 2929, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. So that lets us know right there, God's not told us everything, but he's told us a lot. And, we did, and he's told us more than we can learn. Um, that's what I'm learning. As long as I've been at this, I'm still learning every day. So why call it God's will of desire? Here's why. Because this is the will that can be disregarded. This is the will of God that, that, that shows we can get off of the path. God desires that men follow his commandments, but they don't. He desires that his children follow his commandments. We don't. And that's called sin. It's the very definition of sin. It's why the writer in Hebrews closed his prayer with, Now may the grace... I mean, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the type of will that we are praying about when we pray, thy will be done. Not God's sovereign will of decree, that's going to come to pass. And the reason this is important, the reason Jesus put this part of this prayer when, he said, when the disciples said, teach us to pray, is because this is the concept that separates Christian prayer from pagan prayer. So let's talk about praying Christian prayers. 
This part of the Lord's Prayer is telling us to pray for the advancement of the kingdom of God and for God's will of desire. So what we're praying for is that God's commandments be done here on earth. The difference between earth and heaven is not that God's sovereign over heaven, but not over earth. The difference is that in heaven, everybody in heaven is cheerfully obedient because they're in heaven. But that doesn't happen on earth. So our prayer is that this would happen. And what makes it unique is the reason Jesus gave this, this is the way we pray Christian prayers. J.I. Packer wrote on it this, and this is what he said. We should, we should cast our cares on the Lord, just like he asked us to do, and we'll look at that next week. All the little things. We, we can take to God in prayer. I mean, God help me find my car keys, right? I, I had a God help me find my sunglasses a couple of weeks ago, mostly just so I'd be right and my wife would be wrong. And, um, and, uh, but we ended up both being right, right? No. All right, so anyway. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, everything from small things to big things we can take to God. But let's be honest. Anybody can pray, God help me find my car keys, to any God. God, whoever's out there in the sky, if there's anybody out there, I sure would like you to help me with this cancer I got. Anybody can pray that prayer. What set Christian prayers apart and makes it Christian prayer is for God's will to be done and our insistence that the expansion of the kingdom of God is also our desire because it's God's desire. That's a unique prayer. In Christian prayer, we ask that the world and everything and everyone be conformed to God's will. That's, that's mature Christian faith. That's what Christian prayer sounds like. Then we have to think about the fact that the purpose of these prayers is to align our will with God's will. We don't think about that that often. But this petition, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, should align our will with God's will. In fact, I want to show you in Scripture uh, an example of this. Turn to John 14. So when we get to John 14, Jesus is teaching the disciples who he is. This is the section where Jesus tells them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. And, and so down in verse 13, Jesus tells the disciples, now he's already told them who he is. And then he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So right there, what we have is Jesus telling us that he will fulfill all our, not our desires. Isn't that what he's saying? That's why right now, if you pray for the big house in Jesus' name, he's got to give it to you. He has to. He said it right here in John 13, 14. This is one of the most abused passages in the Bible. So much crazy stuff's been prayed in the name of Jesus. So many false teachers have damaged the hearts and lives of people sitting in the pews by telling them if they'll just pray the right prayer in the right way and say the right words that God will grant all their wishes. More than three, you get way more than three with God, Bob. You get more than three. You don't even have to wish for more wishes. After all, Jesus said, pray it in my name, I'll give it to you. God, give me this mansion in the name of Jesus. God, let me win the lottery in the name of Jesus. And if you do, I'll tithe that to the church. <laughs> 
God, give me a new wife and let me get rid of this other one in the name of Jesus. I've heard people pray those kinds of prayers. Yeah, people take it that far. I was literally in a car. This was years ago. We were in Florida. I was literally in a car with a guy, and we drove by this, I'm talking about this fine property on the coast, um, gated thing. I mean, it looked like a it looked like something out of a movie. All right. I mean, just it was probably it was like a two-acre property on the water with a gate with one of those driveways with lining the palms and you know, a big two-story with this big giant balcony. Y'all know the house. Y'all have seen these Florida houses like that. And we're driving, he's driving, he's showing me the community. He's like, God, give me that house in the name of Jesus. And I laughed because I thought he was just being funny, right? I was like, that's funny, man. And I said, what are you doing? He said, he said uh, no, I'm just praying John 14. He said, I drive by that house every day. Every day I drive by the house and ask God to give it to me in the name of Jesus. And, uh, and, then, and, when, and, and then eventually God's going to have to give it to me because he promised that in John 14. I'm like, all right, dude. Well, you let me know if that works out. And as far as I know, he's still driving by there praying. And this was, that was 30 years ago, 20, 25, 27 years ago. What happens is, if that's your view of this, when you don't win the lottery or get the big house, John 14, you're like, what's going on? So if you talk to the right people, they'll say, well, I know you've seen John 14, but have you seen James 1, 6? that says, if you pray the prayer of faith without doubting. So apparently when you pray in the name of Jesus, you didn't have the right faith. You were doubting. So that just means you're a double-minded man who's unstable in all his ways. And, and the bond, can you imagine the bondage? I mean, I, we've been around that stuff. You may, have, you may have come out of it. Hopefully you've come out of it. I mean, if you were in it, hopefully you'd come out of it. Some of y'all hope you never had to deal with that. But that's an abuse of what everything Scripture teaches about prayer, specifically what Jesus taught in John 14. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is in a prayer of alignment. It is a prayer that's intended to align our will to God's will, not to bend God's will to our will. Christian prayer is not magic. It's not a genie. And we need to be careful that we aren't praying to God like someone looking to get their wishes granted. And we can, we can and we should, look, but I, I, I want to be clear, we should petition God for our needs. We're going to look at that next week with our, uh, give, give us our daily bread. He wants us to do that. He said, cast your cares on me, right? I'm not dismissing that. Um, we're going to look at it. But that's not the same thing as trying to claim something in the name of Jesus and expecting God to have to meet your expectation of his will. So what did Jesus mean in John 14? I, I, I thought a lot about it, and so I thought of a good example. When I was a kid, um, my dad's best friend, Buck, and his brother, um, Howard, owned a little country store. And at that store, you could get gas, you could get cans of soup, you could get PVC fittings, you could get tires, you could get fried catfish, uh, you could get uh, uh, bait, fishing bait, lures, poles, soda, candy. I mean, it was like a little mini Walmart. I'm not kidding. It was, it was crazy, crazy. And it wasn't as big as this room. 
It wasn't this, it was not this big. I'd say it's probably about uh, two-thirds of this room. Like take one of those sections and get rid of it like, like this big. And then the tire shop was was, you know. And um and that it's still there to this day. Now Buck sold it a few years ago, it's still there. But it was a community store in a small community. So because everybody knew everybody, they had the old school credit system where you could just come in and say, hey, hey, Miss Mary, put this bread on the, you know, put it on the tab. And the reason that worked is because, like, my mom would send me to the store way younger than I should have been driving. And, uh, but I'd drive to the store and say, you know, I grabbed some whatever she told me on the list, some bread and eggs or whatever, and, and, and say, Miss Mary, you know, put it on Dad's tab. And I'm... Um, Basically saying, I'm buying this in my dad's name, and he'll cover the bill. And that's what they would do at the end of the month, you know. They didn't even send out bills, just they would tab it up, and the next time you walked in the store, be like, hey, you owe 180 bucks for whatever, you know. Here's the list of, of everything your kids bought. And, uh... <laughs> but I can promise you this. As a, as a young, you know, 11, 12, 13-year-old boy, if I had gone in that store and said, all right, Mr. Buck, I need fishing poles and tackle boxes for me and all my friends. We're going fishing. While you're at it, put some tires on Joe's car. His tires are getting bald. Put it in Dad's name. Buck knew my dad really well. He'd be like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that, you know? I mean, best case, worst case, he would call my dad and say, hey, Scott's here trying to buy a bunch of stuff for all his, his, his crazy friends. No, he didn't even have to do that. He knew that even though I'm trying to invoke my dad's name, that my dad did not approve of buying me and all my knucklehead friends fishing poles. I never actually tried to do that, but mostly because I didn't think about it. I, I don't know why I didn't think about it. <laughs> um, and when we pray, thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. We're asking God to align our will in such a way that everything we pray is answered because we're praying God prayers. We're praying God's desires. We're not praying for our will to be done. We're praying for His will to be done. And when it talks about God will give you the desires of your heart, you follow Him and give you the desires of your heart, what that's telling us is God's going to give us the desires to where our desires become his desires. So we do get our desires because they're God's desires. And this prayer says, start with me. Help me care more about the advancement of the gospel than I do myself. Help me serve you than I want to serve myself. Make me an obedient servant to the king. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's where we start in prayer. Think of the first three petitions of this prayer, all right? We have God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. We pray to a heavenly Father. May you work in such a way that your name is glorified and that we submit to your reign and that we follow your rule. So we recognize God as Father. We recognize God as King. And we recognize ourselves as subject to that king. And that's what we're praying. Start with me, God. Help me be a better, 
follower of King Jesus. It's one thing to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a lot of bad people in the world and you need to do something about them. That's actually not a bad prayer. We're going to get there in this prayer. It's not where we start. Or start with me. Start with us. Start with our church. Show us our disobedience. Help us align our will with your will. When we, when we get to pray about the bad people in the world, that's, we don't start there. We start with ourselves, like removing the plank from our eye before we pray about the speck in somebody else's. And as we consider this, you have to keep thinking of this in kingdom language. Praying kingdom prayers begins with me. I put that in quotes because I don't mean me. I mean, you know, me, me. Say that to yourself. The problem is we don't like kings. We had a whole war to get rid of one. How we started in those Americans. And you know, there's only a handful. This is not an American thing. This is a worldwide thing. There's like four actual monarchies left in the, in the whole planet. Four. Literal sovereign monarchies. Most monarchies lost their power. Now, they meant, there's still some kings and queens out there, but let's be honest. Did Queen Elizabeth, as much as I love that woman, and I don't have any idea why, I shouldn't. I don't care anything about England. and Just something about Queen Elizabeth. I mean, probably because... I've known her my whole life. She also had the greatest like Christmas. Have you ever listened to her like Christmas things she would read? They were, they were amazing. Every Christmas day she had her little, because you know, she's, she was like head of that Church of England or whatever, however they worked that. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't work that out. She had no power. She answered to Parliament. The, and, and most kings and queens that are still on the earth have lost their power. They they. They have no sovereignty. And let's just be honest, a king that answers to somebody else is not a king, no matter what your title says. And why is that? Well, we don't like kings because sinful monarchs have historically not been great forms of government. And, and, and also, in the West, we really don't like being told what to do. Right? I mean, come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Look, we declared personal independence in America and came up with a flag with a snake on it that said, don't tread on me. Should have said dot, 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 King James. But true kingship it's not superficial. It's not on paper. True kingship, that king doesn't answer to anybody. And the reign of Christ is the reign of a true king, one who demands allegiance, one who will disrupt the order of our lives, one who will call us to abandon our pursuits for the sake of his, which is why Al Mohler said, when you pray your kingdom come, you're praying a dangerous prayer. Because you're praying a prayer that will mess with your comfort. It will devalue some things in our lives that we value. And when we're praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that also reorients our own sense of personal autonomy and points it to something bigger than ourselves, 
this sense of control over our lives and situations, we realize we're not. God is in control. And the petition is an appeal to God for us to forfeit our own personal claims to lordship, our own personal claims to sovereignty, and express in a, in a humble desire for the reign of God, the rule of God, to rule in our lives, not just in the world in a generic sense, but in us personally. Praying kingdom prayers is a me prayer. And it's a dangerous prayer. Like praying for patience, right? You ever wonder, has this God how you chose to teach me patience? Well, you, you, you needed a hard lesson, right? Here, more clear than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, but to bring me into alignment with his will. And if we are surrendered to King Jesus, it means we are surrendered to his will. It means we're surrendered to what Scripture teaches us about God and what God says his will is, which means we don't get to decide which parts we'll obey and which parts we won't. We don't get to decide which parts we like and which parts we don't. We don't get to change depending on preferences or depending on culture. It means we can't have it both ways. We can't capitulate to cultural changes on what is and what isn't moral when that goes against God's desired, revealed will spelled out in Scripture, which means just like other times in history, if we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are declaring that we stand with Jesus no matter what anybody else says. No matter what the personal fallout may be, that we are on... Not on the side of history, we are on the side of truth, and that truth is found in Christ alone, and we are his servants. We answer to him as our highest authority. And listen, I'm telling you, I might not be around when it happens. As I already told you, I'm not going to be 100. I'm not living to 100. I'm thinking probably like 83, 84. That's, that's going to be it for me on a good, if, that, if things go well. If there's some advancements in medical technology in the next 34 years, right? This is going to become where it really means more. To be able to stand with King Jesus. If you don't think it is, you know it only took, it was less than 20 years between World War I and World War II and the change. It was less than 20 years for, for, the, for Germany to go from, from a Christian nation to killing Christians who didn't align with the new thing. And I, I don't, I'm not saying America's about to become fascist, right? I'm not, on that, I'm not in that camp. I'm not being a Twitter radical here. But I'm telling you, y'all are seeing it. It's going to matter. And, and I remember my mom telling me years ago, there's certain decisions you need to make before you have to make them where you have to make them. And praying thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, is a decision of allegiance you need to make now before it affects you where your boss comes and says, hey, we don't, we don't want Christians in my job. Y'all are too divisive. Or you can't do this, you can't do that. Make the decision now. Hey, I hope I'm wrong. 
I know I sound like the ultimate pessimist, um, and maybe I am, but, but then on the other side, I actually believe God's sovereign will on top of his revealed will. And whatever he's chosen to work out, I'm going to roll with it as his subject under his kingdom. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're praying to see all nations rejoice in the glory of God. We are praying to see Christ honored in every heart. We're praying to see Satan bound, evil vanquished. We're praying to see no more death. We're praying to see the mercy of God demonstrated in justification and sanctification in the, in the, in the atonement of the sinner. We're praying to see the wrath of God poured out on sin. We're praying to see every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, which means he's king. We're praying that Jesus come and bring history to a glorious close. We're praying to see a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and a new earth and a new creation. That's what we're praying when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're praying to seek a better way. The scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God. And that's our call. Seek first the kingdom of God and then trust that as a benevolent king, he knows what's best for us. He desires what's best for us. And when we align our desire with his, we align our heart with his, we get everything we desire because our desires are his desires. As a church, that's what I want us to be, a church that can firmly pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.